0: A little confused over the divisions of this assignment. Uh, it was John 13, uh, 36 to 38, and then John 14, 1 to 14. And I was on a hike. I was up in uh, Upper Winter Creek Trail above uh, Hoagie Campground up at Chantry Flat. I came to realization why uh, it was broken up this way. And I love it when this sort of thing happens. I know it doesn't just happen to me. Uh, When something's on your mind, you never know when the Lord's going to show up, you know. And uh, in this case, the heavens didn't open up with a voice like thunder. And uh, and a little birdie didn't sit on a branch and talk to me in the voice of a man, you know. It was just one of those aha moments, you know, going along and going, oh, wow, that kind of makes sense. And I had to double check just the same. Uh, It wasn't that dramatic. Uh, then last week when Jonathan filled in at the last minute, he affirmed that the chapter divisions aren't always perfectly placed. Uh, the scripture was not written with chapter divisions and headings and all that. And, uh, it, it affirmed what, uh, what I got up there on the trail. Uh, he overlapped a little bit last week in the, in the study that I had pr- uh, prepared for tonight. Uh. So I'm going to do his study tonight. No, uh, no, he overlapped. I'm going to I'm going to start a little farther back than it was originally assigned. We're going to take a a little bite into the last week's study, and now we're going to start at verse 31, uh, Book of John. Of course, I'm sure you all know that. Uh, verse 31 occurs just after Judas has left into the dark night, uh, and. Uh, Jesus had said, you know, it's he who I dip the bread and give it to him. In Psalm 41, verse 9, it says, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against him. So as Judas went out in the night, and after receiving the dipped bread from Jesus, in verse 31, Jesus makes this statement. So chapter 13, verse 31, So when he had gone out, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this they will know that you are my disciples, if, they, if you have love for one another. So the wheels were set in motion at this point for the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, it could be argued that the wheels were in motion from the moment of his birth, which would and that would be true. Uh, but uh, it seems like the betrayal of Ju- Ju- Judas... Uh, And Jesus signifying and and predicting what was going to happen. Now Things were quickening now. It was starting to happen a little faster. We're getting to the end. Uh, But notice that uh, Jesus speaks of glory and not of humiliation. The forgiveness of sins, God's compassion and love for us, gives us cause to reflect. On the glory of God, and that Jesus dwelt, and that's what He dwells on here. He doesn't dwell on how bad it's going to be and all that. Uh, in these two verses, thirty-one and thirty-two, there are five references to glory. And crucifixion is a humiliating experience; it's awful in every way. It wasn't just torturous; it was humiliating. And I mean, they they covered all their bases. The Romans did with this, uh, but all Jesus saw was the glory to come. Prior to verse 31 in chapter 13, they'd finished the Passover feast. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. Uh, Jesus is all about examples. That's what we've got to look at when we see Jesus. We see the example. We see the model man. Uh, He said in 13, uh, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And he was the ultimate servant. Jesus was the ultimate servant. I know there are a lot of servants in this room. There are a lot of people that serve in multiple ministries and such. But Jesus was the best. He was, he was our example. Uh, he predicted the betrayal of Judas so far. And in uh, 31 to 35, he spoke the glory to come. And then he spoke of his departure. Uh, So when he, meaning Judas, had gone out, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, I notice that Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. And maybe that's why it seemed to me this was the final act uh, leading up to the crucifixion. I saw it as kind of starting in this verse. Verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, uh, so now I say to you. There's, everybody gets the aha moments, right? You know, wow, you know, like you're reading the scripture and something jumps out at you. Well, <laughs> sometimes there's the, there's well, duh, moments, you know. And X says it all the time. He's always teaching us, context, 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 context. Uh, I hadn't seen the significance of this verse in the context of the times. I didn't look at it that closely. I didn't understand it. Uh, And so when I I read David Guzik's commentary and the impact of it kind of struck me. He says, This would have been like an earthquake to the disciples. They had literally left everything to follow Jesus and expected to be high-ranking officials in his government when he took political control of Israel as Messiah. They have followed him for three years, enduring a lot, lot, and now he says, I'm leaving you. You know, they're freaking out. They're going, what? You know, this isn't the way they saw it. And it it, it blows my mind, and I'll say this over and over. These guys were, you know, they they traveled with him, they ate with him, they they had private teachings with him, they, they led everyday lives with him. Uh, and yet they weren't completely getting it, as we're going to see as we go on to the Scripture for tonight. Uh, Now Jesus prepares them and us uh, for his leaving. Uh, He's going to give us the main tool of our trade, and that's love. That's the main tool of our trade. That's what defines us. Uh, It's not funky old human love. You know, if you love me, I'll love you back, you know. That's human love, generally speaking. If you love me, I'll love you back. Scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Uh, But this is agape love, the love of God. Remember, he loved us first. And he loved us unconditionally. He loved us before we loved him. He didn't wait for us to love him back. And he says, uh, I see it as no coincidence. As he approaches the cross, he gives this commandment to the disciples. This is a commandment. It's a commandment. It's not a, a suggestion, as X is prone to say. It's a commandment. The words of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you that, you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus tells us to love one another, but how? Right? This is the hard part. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. Pretty high bar. Uh, that's the hard part. That's indeed the hard part. We have to love each other like Jesus loves us, and that, uh, you know, that's not that's not so easy. That's not so easy. Uh, and don't dare tell me you're not Jesus. Uh, I'm well aware of that. <laughs> uh, in Matthew 22, uh, he says uh, in verse 36, "Teacher, which is the greatest?" The great commandment in the law. And Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I've got a line in one of my songs that goes, I've got no problem loving the Lord. I've got a problem loving you. you know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, but in this commandment, we find not only our marching orders, but check it out. We find our identity. We find our ID tags, uh, our ID cards. But we all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is love and he's compassion, and I know we know that, but we have to apply it to ourselves. The love we've been commanded to show one another is the highest calling, not easy to do, it's not an easy thing to emulate Jesus. Uh, and And yet that's what we're called to do. So these are some of the events that have brought us up to the Scripture for tonight. These are some of the events in chapter 13. Chapter 13 was kind of a hurry-up job last week. It, it, there were technical difficulties. Uh, and that, that's, I just wanted to throw that in. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we ask you, Lord, to, uh, to d- remove all distractions from our minds, Lord, and open up our hearts to receive your word. And may your word penetrate our hearts. May there be words and and teachings, Lord, that we take out into the streets, into our lives, into our everyday lives. That we would share your love out in the world, Lord. That we would be your people and not just talk about being Christians. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John 13, verse 36. Now, having read all that, Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, (coughs) but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do not you believe do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me the words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does the works believe in me believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves most assuredly I say to you He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. (laughs) As we move on to verse 36, find Peter asking Jesus, Where are you going? And Jesus once again telling him, you cannot follow I'm adding the word now and also but you shall follow me afterwards. In uh when, when this uh, comes down, there's a promise of heaven in this verse. Uh Jesus is telling Peter that he will de- indeed have a place in heaven, although he doesn't specifically call it that. But we know because we have the word. We got the book. Uh He indicates it will be in the Lord's timing. You cannot follow me now. Uh, There's three answers to uh, to any request you make of God. And everybody knows what they are. Yes, no, and not now. You know, and Peter's getting a not now. Uh, Not nows are tough. (laughs) Not nows are hard. And Now, Peter and I share the same name. Uh, We... (laughs) We both have a knack for putting our foot in our mouth. My wife, Debbie, has got a little sign in her studio that says, uh, Dear Lord, please put your arm around my shoulder and your hand over my mouth. Uh, It's good advice. Peter's impatient. As usual, the mouth gets ahead of him. And this isn't the first time that Peter has let his mouth get him in trouble. Uh, In Matthew 16, verse 15, When Jesus asked the question, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. But then in just five verses, in five verses... Peter demonstrates his ability to put his foot in his mouth and go from saint to sinner in a New York minute. In uh, verse 22, right down the road there, it says, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. Peter's gone from... Blessed are you, Bar-Jonah, to get behind me, Satan, just five verses, okay? Unfortunately, that's the problem we all share, you know, that we go along sometimes, and we're doing a pretty good job, maybe, of following Scripture and, you know, and, and reading and all that. Boy, but it, the, enemy's, the enemy's relentless. The enemy's like rust. Rust never sleeps. Neil Young had a, an album said, Rust never sleeps. And the enemy never sleeps. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answers Peter's declaration. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. This verse is so familiar to us. It predicts Peter's denial. We've all read it. Uh, and we have a tendency, it's, it seems so straightforward, we have a tendency to blow right past it. Uh, uh, it's a, first a rhetorical question, it's a statement. He predicts Peter's denial. I really not, uh, never thought too much about it. It seemed pretty easy to understand, and it actually is. But as I was walking along the trail up there, I lost in La La Land. When I hike, I get lost in La La Land. Uh, There's rhythm of the hike and the the sights and the smells and the sounds. I began began to think about this exchange. This is when I had my little aha moment, uh, which uh, Jonathan confirmed. Uh, When Peter declares that he will lay down his life for Jesus, uh, he's not being stupid or brash or boastful. He's sincere. He believes it. He believes it. He means it. He's a man of passion. His love and loyalty to Jesus uh, was with, with beyond question. There was no doubt. Uh, he was a man of action. This is the guy that cut off Malchus the servant's ear in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus. Uh, he was he was a go go get him kind of guy. So when Jesus said, you know, you, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. Ask him that rhetorical question. Uh, I believe uh, that Peter was absolutely crushed. Uh, Je- I believe in that moment, in that particular moment, when he said, I will lay down my life for you, he meant it, he believed it, he had every intention that if it, if, if it came down in that moment, he would have done that. Right. But Jesus, knowing all things, seeing all things, knew better. The spirit which Peter was blessed with in abundance was indeed willing, and Jesus, knowing Peter better than Peter knew himself, simply saw the situation as it would be, not as Peter thought it would be. Jesus knew the flesh was weak remember uh matthew twenty six forty one watch and pray lest you enter in temptation, Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. you know we have a lot of good ideas, and we got a lot of good intentions uh uh Jack Abelin was teaching one night, and he says, you got to get beyond your good intentions. And I've, I've, I wrote that down. I keep it in my Bible. Get beyond your good intentions. We always have good intentions. And as it was for Peter, so it is for us. Jesus knows us, and he knows our struggles. As a man, he knows our pain. Eminently qualified to judge us. Uh, our weaknesses, our limitations. But as our Savior... This is a good part. As our Savior, uh, He sees past our failures to our successes, and He's willing to wait on Him. He is patient with us as we live out our lives. Don't ever quit. But remember, we're not called to perfection. We're not called to be perfect. Uh, a lot of people get messed up. They, you know, they try to lead a perfect life, and in that attempt to lead a perfect life, they fail because they, they start beating themselves up. Because you can't do it, it's like the Jews with their six hundred and whatever amounts of laws, you are bound to go make atonement once a year. you're going to go buy that lamb and slaughter it uh, and even though it's not specifically said in scripture that jesus uh that Peter was crushed, the guess that I made was because right after his denial his denials says in luke twenty six sixty two so Peter went out and wept bitterly when it hit him what he had done. He just it tore him up. Uh, this reflects the character of the man after the denials, and I'm sure it represents the character of the man before the denials. He was solid. He meant, I'm not going to give you up. So when he said, uh, when he said what he said, I'm sure he believed it. Now, this was my my huge moment. <laughs> And I'm telling you, it wasn't as, as much as as like what I'm making out to be. Uh, let's read from 37 to verse uh, three. Uh, that's 13:37 to verse three. But only this time, put your finger over the the John 14. Block the John 14 out, and let's read it as one statement. Peter said to him, Lord. Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So, we're taught that chapter divisions don't really always hold up; uh, they're not definitive. And often, Xavier has began and ended studies uh, not exactly on the division, uh, picking a place that he felt was more appropriate and made a better, more sense. And for me, for me, reading. Verse 1 of chapter 14, without the separation, made all the sense of the world. I wondered why did uh, Tony, Pastor Tony break it the way he did from uh, thirteen, the end of 13 and then continuing on to 14. And I believe that Jesus was talking to Peter. He was telling him. He was, last week, Jonathan alluded to the fact that uh, the way, I think the way he put it, uh, he was trying to let Peter down easy. He was trying to give him a, a little, uh, a little comfort, because you know the guy was crushed. The guy was crushed. He, he was a proud and, 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 uh, you know, man of action. He was ready to go for it. And now you know he's been told no. You're going to deny me. How many? I'm, I'm curious about something. How many people saw that before Jonathan brought it up and before I did uh, mentioned it again tonight? Did, how many people saw that uh, that that break was not as authentic as it appeared. Richard, you saw it? There we go. I didn't, I didn't. I, I, and I, When I saw the very I mean, pondered over, why did he break it like that? Why did he break it like that? I couldn't get it. Then all of a sudden, hiking along with my hiking poles, ah, oh, yeah, the birdie, you know, hey fool, you know. Uh, now remember, uh, consider the verses we looked at Earlier, Consider the heart of Peter, his love for Jesus, and the pain that his statement must have generated. Chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 14, reads differently. Jonathan said it last week. And uh, I believe uh, even more than that. Jesus loved Peter too much to let him suffer. Jesus loved Peter. Remember 34, verse 34 in the previous chapter? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you... Also, love one another, so when I looked at verse one, without the chapter division, in the context of the conversation with Peter, verse one of chapter uh, fourteen took on a whole new look to me, and here 's the love that Jesus has given us as a new commandment. He knows that peter 's grieved by his rhetorical question and prophecy, uh, and he doesn 't want her to hurt his follower, his friend you know they 're friends by now they 're not just you know it isn 't like uh, like he's not just sitting in the congregation; they've been, they've been sharing a lot of burdens together. Uh, but he's God. Jesus is God. He's incapable of lying. Uh, and then the old adage uh, comes true: the truth hurts. It definitely applies here. So so does the statement: God is love. God is love, uh, and Jesus follows the awful truth of verse thirty-eight with God's love in verse one of chapter fourteen. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Now, I always read it like that. uh, But after going through this a lot, all of a sudden I kind of read it a little bit differently. Jesus is addressing Peter as a devout man, a, a godly man. And he's addressing him lovingly. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled. He's calming him down. And then it's it's not a question, but a statement. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Have faith in me. I'll not let you down. This is a comforting statement that he's made, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it, and I'm glad that I see it that way now because it takes it. It gave me a whole new look at this, uh, at these uh, verses. Uh, as we continue, Jesus completes his assurance to Peter. In fact, he is about to tell him where he is going and why. Uh can remember, Peter asked him, where are you going? You know, but he's going to tell him. That's so cool. That's so cool. He doesn't leave him hanging. Uh, this is, and you've got to remember now, this is not a private conversation between Peter and Jesus. Uh, all the disciples are there, except for Judas. Uh, uh, Thomas and Philip will both take part in the conversation. Was, but I, I really believe it was initially directed at Peter in a public setting. Uh, uh, he, they just finished eating. He had washed their feet. He was speaking to all of them. He wasn't just speaking to Peter. Uh, Peter addressing Jesus' responds, but all the disciples, except for Judas, as they said, are present. In verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I find these verses amazing. Uh, Jesus specifically explains where he's going. Mansions can be uh, translated as dwelling places or a place to stay. Uh, The priest, (laughs) like uh, there's a story about the priest and the taxi driver, Uh, that St. Peter's driving them to their mansions. And uh, so he drives the taxi driver to his place first and there's these expansive lawns and fountains, and it's just gorgeous. And the priest goes, wow, the taxi driver gets this. I wonder what I'm going to get. You know. So they go a little farther, and they pull up to a little cottage. It's nice, but it's nothing like what the taxi driver got he asked St. Peter, he goes, hey, what gives? I've been a priest all my life. He's a taxi driver. How come I get this? Oh, it's this a nice cottage, but I was expecting maybe a little more. He goes, well, he goes, when you were preaching, they were sleeping. He goes, but when he was driving, they were praying. <laughs> <laughs> In my father's house, were many mansions. Uh, He says, and I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Not only does he tell Peter where he's going, he's going to prepare a place for him. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. This kind of blows the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and their 144,000 out, out of the gate, because in 2,000 years, I'm sure there have been a no vacancy sign up by now. Uh, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus had spoken to the disciples about his Father and the things of heaven, but remember, as yet, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, and even after three years of discipleship, they still didn't fully grasp all the things that Jesus had taught them. And But I wonder if I would have understood if I were in that time and those circumstances. I, I mean, you'd like to think you would. Oh, I would have got it, you know? yeah. You know, still Jesus had been both demonstrating the way and giving them instructions in the way to heaven. They, even with the cross so close at hand, couldn't understand. And I can't blame them. I put myself in their shoes. I put myself in their shoes. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Verse 5. I can only think that this question... Is rooted in Thomas's lack of understanding, and that Thomas is seeing things in the physical world. We can make the assumption that the disciples are still thinking that Jesus is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. Where is it? Thomas is asking. How can we know how to get there if we don't know where it is? The, the disciples were still thinking in worldly terms. Th- Thomas is thinking of a place here on earth. He's thinking, "Where? How? You know what? You know." Didn't have MapQuest, you know. In verse six, Jesus said to him, "I am the way, and the, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Simply put, did anybody really remember the first time they read this? You know, I do. I remember the first time I re- I read this. Uh, you know, I didn't look for a commentary. I didn't look for a. Con- I didn't need a commentary, and after plowing through the lineages and the Book of Daniel with all these flying things and uh, the Old Testament prophets and so much that confused me, when I got to this verse, I was really happy. I was really happy. I got it. I got it. I got it the first time too. I didn't have to read it a second time, but I kept reading it over and over again. I was just flipping out. I was just, whoa, there it is, you know. I go. Wonder why why uh, In and Out put John three sixteen on the bottom of the cups? I thought they should have put John fourteen six, you know, because it just tells it like it is. This is kind of interesting. In verse seven, uh, Jesus says, "If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on, you know him and have seen him." Uh, we we find the word known used twice here. And I, I looked up this fellow named Charles Ellicott, and he was a, a preacher, died in 1905, and he left a lot of writings behind. And he studied the Greek. Uh, and I found this interesting. The English word known, this is him talking, not me, represents two Greek words in the better text which are not identical in meaning. Aha. The former means to know by observation the latter to know by reflection. So when he said, if you had known me, he's saying, if if you'd observed, you'd have known my Father also. You would have reflected on the fact that I'm God. Because by now, Jesus is, you know, this is towards the end of the ministry. And he's he's performed a, a lot of miracles. You know, I mean, if just the ones that are in the book are are awesome and heavy. And John says he did so much more than this. He did so much more than this, but he said all the books in the world couldn't contain what he did. Uh, And he says, we may express the meaning more exactly thus. If you had recognized me, you'd have known my Father also. If you'd have recognized who I really am, you would have known that I and my Father are one. The the plain truth was that the disciples had not recognized the, the true Jesus. They they were blown away by him. They were dazzled. Uh, they were awestruck by his words. They knew there was something going on, but they hadn't got down to the nitty gritty. Uh, uh, the key word here is if. John is, G- Jesus explains to Thomas, you really do not know who I am because if you did, you would understand. Notice that uh, Jesus refers to his previous statement in verse 6 where he told his disciples plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But he adds here, and from now on you know him and have seen him. So now if there was any question in Thomas' mind, he just let it out right there. He said, from now on you know him, you've seen him. And Philip said to him, and Philip butts in, uh, like I said, this is a group conversation. This is, this is all the disciples together at dinner. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, it's sufficient for us. Uh, and Philip's interruption, the way uh, I read it, has, the, has a ring of earnestness about it. I don't believe that he was trying to butt in or show off or be like a school kid that raises his hand. Uh, but like Thomas, he, he demonstrates a lack of understanding. He doesn't really, really get it. Uh, and he wants to know, show us the Father. You have to understand that Jesus Christ is not that easy to lay a hold of for these men. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't know if I would have understood. I don't know. You guys can ask yourself that question if you would have understood. If you really think you would have, great. Uh, but I, I think I would have been just blown away by this guy. You know, before I was a Christian, I used to I used to think that Jesus was my spiritual big brother, <laughs> and my neighbor said, "That's great, Pete, but he's God." You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I went, "Oh," but I did. I always believed that he was loved to his fingertips, all the way. There was no no lack of love in this man. Yeah, that's that. That was great. I remember that statement to this day. That's great, Pete, but he's God. Jesus said to Philip, said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Once again, we get that word known, he's saying. Once again, we can substitute the word recognize in its place. Notice the patience of our Lord, both with Thomas and Philip. Beginning with the first verse of this chapter, Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, there's patient love demonstrated here. Jesus made that remarkable I am statement in verse 6, and the disciples are struggling to comprehend. And once again, I don't blame them. This is a deep, this is complex, and this is heavy. Uh, we've read the whole book. We have the mind of Christ. I would assume everyone in here is saved. Uh, and in that, we have a realization that these guys didn't have. Uh, These men are going to be writing the book. They're going to be writing the book that we read. But as yet, they have not received that divine inspiration. And remember, they're agitated. They're agitated. Jesus is leaving. He just told them, I'm splitting. You know, and they're going, what? You know, how can that be? You know, they're used to them by now. And uh, (laughs) my wife Debbie calls, calls this, she calls it the owner's manual. And she's right. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's not a trick statement or a multiple-choice question. Uh, Once you receive the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit through a sincere, affirmative answer to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you can't say we don't understand. You can't say that no more. Uh, Now we can take the owner's manual and the counsel of the Holy Spirit and work on this wonderful creation that we are. You may not believe it, but I'm a wonderful creation. Bad back at all. Uh, In verse 10 and 11, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I, I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. Uh, verse 10 begins with a question. What a question it is. I don't think of it as a rhetorical question. He's asking Philip to examine himself. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? you got to ask yourself. Uh, he's, asking, uh, he's asking Philip to dig deep. Often we have to take a good look at our faith uh, and be sure that, that there's substance. You've got to be sure that there's substance. Uh, there's, there's really a danger in speaking fluent Christianese, you know, it would be becoming a cliche Christian. You know, if you're quoting scripture, you better be convicted, you know, and, and I, I believe that with all my heart. She's been telling him that he is, as the centurion recognized in Matthew and Luke, under authority, uh, he is empowered by the Father, as as He's always done throughout His ministry. Jesus is always pointing, He's always pointing to the Father. And here in specific terms, He does so once again. He asks, if you still can't get it, believe in what you've seen me do. If you don't get it, if you don't, if this ain't, then didn't you watch? Weren't you watching? Uh, from changing the water into wine uh, to now, a lot of works have been done. A lot of works have been done, uh, and Jesus gives us lots of opportunities to grow in faithfulness. Now, think about it in our own lives. He provides lots of reasons for you know th- everything from answered prayers to divine appointments to wondrous revelations that we read the Word of God. Uh, he's working in our lives daily, and if we take the time to slow down in this crazy world we live in and stop listening to Hannity, uh, we we can see him all around us, you know. Uh, he's given Philip two options. Philip can just plain believe by faithfulness, or he can look at, at the work Jesus has done, or the works, and find tangible proof from what he's witnessed. Verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Both Thomas and Philip have, by their question, displayed a lack of understanding and a certain lack of faith. When Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, Thomas would not believe. Thomas is the one that, uh-uh. Uh, John uh, chapter 20 Verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in their midst. Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. And look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God, and I believe. I can't quote this exactly, but Jesus says something to the effect of, Blessed is is he who has not seen and believed. Beginning with most assuredly, uh, that is to say, without a doubt, uh, empowered by faithfulness, believing under godly authority, Jesus promised they will do greater works than the works he has done. He says, you'll do these works and even greater. Peter's a great example. It's funny that I never really caught this. I decided I'd read the New Testament and then go to the Old Testament as the year goes on. And so I'm in Acts right now, and I just read this morning. In the book of Acts, Peter heals a man, a guy named Aeneas, paralyzed for eight years. That's in 9:31 31 through 35. And he, uh, he cures him, uh, just as Jesus used to do. And he raises Tabitha, known as Dorcas, from the dead. That's in 9, 39. And this is the same Peter who den- denied Jesus. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus had been restored. And that's the amazing thing for us. The amazing thing for us is that we can be deny, we can deny, we can mess up, we can fall, you know. But he'll pick you up. A friend of mine is a ski instructor. He said, "If you ain't falling, you ain't learning," you know. So, and then on the day of Pentecost, Peter evangelized three thousand in one in one meeting. He evangelized three thousand. Jesus never evangelized three thousand. He said, greater works than these you're going to do. Then he goes on in verse 13. "Uh, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Uh, He's saying, as I am in the Father, and Father in me, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do the glory of the Father through me. To ask anything in the name of Jesus requires faithfulness on our part, that he may be glorified in and you better be careful. Uh, this is not a genie in the bottle kind of thing. Uh, though many would like like it to be. Uh, uh, if we ask in the name of Jesus, we must ask in the character of Jesus. In uh, James, confess your trespasses. James 5, uh, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with nature like, like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. The earth produced its fruit. Of a, the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you're going to pray in Jesus' name and expect an answer, you better be righteous, and you better be asking for the right thing Uh, so if you're secretly praying right now for other stuff like you go home you're not going to find a stack of money on your kitchen table or a new car in the driveway uh, if that's what you're praying for but if you're praying for a servant's heart or wisdom or holiness or righteousness or to be filled with the love of Jesus you might get better results I'm going to close with this just a, a real quick synopsis In chapter 13, there was love and compassion through all the verses. Jesus has given us a commandment to love one another. He's given us examples. In washing the uh, disciples' feet, he humbled himself to serve them. In chapter 14, he is shown a compassionate, loving tone as he addressed the disciples. And even after telling Peter of his coming betrayal, he adds, Let not your heart be troubled, and he encourages him. When Thomas questions him, he is kind. When Philip does likewise, he is kind. Uh, he calls his disciples to faithfulness. He exhorts them. He promises to empower them and, and intercede for them. This is all stuff that he's doing for us. Uh, I, I came to this conclusion as I was going through this study. But it was almost impossible to cover all this material in one study. Uh, there's so much here that it just absolutely boggles the mind. Uh, Xavier, he he would go on for, more than likely for weeks on these verses. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Someday I think he's going to do a study on the period at the end of a verse or something. And he's going to show me something about it. That's what, One time he finished a, a little six-word study and said, you didn't think there was that much in there, did you? you know? And he was right. I go, wow, man. So, uh, these verses demand that we look at them closely. I don't know how many of you went to the uh, inductive Bible st- uh, uh, study class that uh, Tony and Fernando and uh, Diego taught, but uh, it was good. It was good, uh, and there's a lot to be learned in it. I before I came to this church, uh, I read the Bible. I read the Bible pretty, you know, regularly, like every morning. But I kind of skimmed over the pages, you know. Like in, now, I, I read the Bible with the idea that there's something in there, there's something for me to find, and the Lord will reveal things to you. And it's been a blessing ever since I adopted a new attitude in approaching it. Part of that is because of X, you know, because he he finds so much in there, and I'm going whoa, you know. I get, with X, I get a lot of huh, you know, <laughs> moments. But every once in a while, you get an aha moment too. But uh, that's that's the study for tonight. Uh, there was so much. I just saw Peter as being crushed, as opposed to him being uh, cocky and headstrong. I saw Jesus as being loving rather than being rebuking. And uh, and you know, like he never said to, to to Philip or Thomas, you know, you dummy, you know, weren't you listening? Weren't you watching? You know, and he was patient. And he the new commandment. That you love each other as I love you. You know, not easy to do. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this study, Lord. I pray that from all that I learned in in going into these verses, Lord, I pray that, that I would be a changed man for it, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the owner's manual. Thank you, Lord, for love, grace, and mercy. Words that just fall off our tongue so glibly that means so much, so such huge words, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. I thank you for this place that we can come and study your word. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.